If you can wade into the political arena and make it out unscathed, you must be doing something right. Brian Burke is your host for Kitchener Today on City News 570. Welcome to Kitchener Today. It is a Wednesday, February the 16th. It's, I guess it's not the penultimate show. That would be tomorrow, right? So it's the third last Kitchener Today with Brian Burke. Thanks for uh, coming on board for another shortly less than three hours of discussion. I will uh, have a couple of my favorite guests on this afternoon. One of them is Mike Zenker from Hope Fellowship Church. We first, uh, Mike and I first bumped into each other, well, it's close to two years ago. When uh, when a lot of the foolishness really began, and it goes back to the uh, remember these stories because they were so big at the time, and then they fade off into the ether. Uh, Trinity Bible Chapel issues that went on there. Mike was uh, the counterpoint to what we sometimes heard from the pastor at uh, Trinity Bible Chapel. And Mike will join us this afternoon to see if he's any closer to saving me. The answer to that is no. Coming up just after 12.30 this afternoon. Hey, they're changing the rules around travel, so maybe it's going to get a little bit cheaper. Suzanne Acton-Gervais, who is the interim president of the National Airlines Council of Canada, joins us just after 12.30 this afternoon. Uh, Companies need to respond to, it says here, U.S.-China tensions, but I think it's U.S.-China-Russia-Ukraine tensions and the disruptions that can cause in the global supply chain. Felix Arndt. From the University of Guelph, the John Wood Chair in Entrepreneurship will join us. And just after 2.30, David Marskell from the museum as they get to open up for the 47th time in the past couple of years. It has been certainly a couple of years. All of that's coming up, but first... Uh, people are funny. Well, I think people are funny. Uh, these people are funny. Uh, uh, Paul Harriet's here, of course, producer Paulie. And uh, Brittany Bordelone is here, I think. I can't see her anywhere. I just talked to her. Brittany, are you there? Hello? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> giving yep. me a heart attack. I'm there. Yeah. Like making a noise of some type when we talk to you is very helpful. It'll allow us to find you. Or turning on the air conditioner oh. or whatever it is in the background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we know you're there. Speaking of air conditioning, holy cow, it smells like <laughs> bacon in here. Oh, it's like you think I got so the hot. air conditioner on? You might. Or the furnace or whatever. Whatever that loud noise is. When are, when are you coming back? Do you know yet? No, it's so cold outside. The, cold outside? Um, Good Lord, this is fabulous. Are you coming back soon? <laughs> Not soon enough, right? <laughs> um, I can't tell you. Okay, okay. Secrets, fine. Keep it's it so top secret, even Brittany has yeah, no Brittany idea. Brittany has no clue. Uh, people are funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> last night I, I didn't have I didn't have a whole lot to do, so I was sitting around and I decided uh, I would stress knit. So I knit a hat last night, and then of course because I'm posting everything these days, I posted the hat, and the internet lost its mind. People, <laughs> people just wow! Look at that you, hat. It's so hold cute. on, you knitted that entire hat in one sitting? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a knitter. I have no idea how long something like that would eh, take. It took about two, three hours. Okay. Just you know, click, 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 click. That's me running away, sitting there, uh, watching nothing really. 
There were a couple of things on TV, but I wasn't really paying attention. Uh, now, there was so much response that I'm going to start selling them. 20 bucks a hat. 20 bucks. That's an expensive hat, right, Brittany? She reconnected because she's experiencing a big delay. Give Ooh, us 30 seconds. Okay, a big delay. So it's made by a celebrity, so I think that's worth something. I can put a well celebrity for a while anyways. <laughs> <laughs> made, made by former celebrity, I can put on the hat. And uh, proceeds, because you know everything needs a charitable basis, proceeds go directly to me. That's, of course. That's <laughs> charity in this particular case. Because you got to save money where you can, right? Speaking of that, uh, it's a big birthday this weekend for my, uh, my oldest daughter. I don't think she minds me telling the world that she's going to be 41. Um, we will save, of course, on birthday cards by making the announcement on the radio. That's always a sensible thing <laughs> to do. The benefit of having a dad who's on the radio. That's right. That's right. I have no idea how much cards cost. Because I, I do them this way. They're expensive. Like, you're looking at minimum $5 now for a card. Oh, yeah, easy. For a piece of paper with writing on it. So what I do is I go to the dollar store because cards there are... A dollar. Uh, generally a dollar. <laughs> you want to get something really mushy, it's $2. But that's I go to the dollar store for my cards. Um, so that's... We will celebrate. I think we're having cake tonight. She's one of these gluten-free people, so it might be a gluten-free cake. Okay. So, it might be. Basically. <laughs> Don't tell her. Tell her it is, but it's really not. <laughs> no. Is she allergic? Like, is that... It, it's, it's, she has, she had, does have an issue. Okay, her. so maybe you should tell but her. But still. So, or we'll just get a piece of cardboard and spritz some icing on top of it. Tastes oh, exactly the same. Okay. I've had gluten-free stuff. Uh, we should talk about this. I am sorry. Somebody did point out to me on Twitter. How are we going to know when bingo's being held now? Well, you're going to have to go to the Rogers TV 20 website and check out the schedule. Bingo is not being held tonight, of course. Whoa, it's not? No. Did they move it again? I think so. Are you? I checked last night. You're going to have to check. I'm checking the program guide. I always throw this on Paul. This is outrageous. I think (laughs) think it's moved to Thursday. Because Marnie and I were going to play, like, we haven't played for, like, all year, I don't think. Well, you could... I, I think there's no one. You can play tonight. Even if, well, you can't really play if they're not playing. What is on tonight? I, that's great. Oh, I know. oh <laughs> Kitchen Rangers game. Oh. Okay, I, I, guess, I guess that's a good way to, a good reason to be postponed. But they have a Rangers game tonight, too. I thought they had a game last night. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, hold. That game got canceled. Oh, did it? Right. There was supposed to be an Owen Sound tonight, and then that game got canceled. So what is... I'm, I'm what just, is Channel 20 going to put on? Are they just going to put Bingo back in its rightful place, maybe? What am I I'm trying to see here? Uh, let's see. Uh, let me see. Go to the preemption dates. Okay, doing that. Preemption dates 2021. That's good. We're a year behind. Uh, let me go. <laughs> uh, Wednesday, February 16th has been moved to Thursday, February 17th. All right. So there. I found it out. So it's TV Bingo. Uh, are you going to play this time, Brittany, or not? Uh, no. You suck. Come on. <laughs> There's two stores in Stratford that sell the tickets. And they're lucky stores. People win a lot from the yeah, stores in Stratford. And Brantford. <laughs> I got to go to Brantford just to get my tickets because half the winners are from there. Yeah, something is going on there. I don't I don't quite understand that. So uh, uh, TV bingo is tomorrow night, so it's probably going to be the last bingo with Burke. Hate to say it, but that's I've done what I can mm-hmm. for the Lions Club of uh, Southern Ontario. Uh, please support the Lions Club. They do great work with guide dogs and vision and all kinds of other things. But uh, that that just might be the last bingo with Burke. Now we need to touch on this.
That, of course, is the official Olympic theme music, as you well know. <laughs> because legally, we can't play the Olympic theme here. I still think we can because it's 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 on Spotify. Well, John Williams, like he's he's a bona fide, legitimate composer. I know, but it's funnier if I whine and I, say we yeah, can't. Yeah, you know, I guess. Sometimes you got to lie to get the bit to work. So, <laughs> uh, I I did I saw just brief moments of the Canada Sweden game. Damn Swedes! Darn you! I was kind of hoping for a fairy tale ending there. That didn't happen. It is, of course, the women's team, which I will tell you the honest truth is way more fun to watch than any of the other teams in this hockey tournament, women or men. The Canadian women's team is just, it's a joy to watch. They just fly. Love it. Wish, wish the other countries could lift their competitive level. But at least tonight you get to see best against the best, and that's worthwhile. And then, of course, there's more of that uh, speed speed skating thingy on the short tracks, which is kind of like roller derby, and I love that. That's spectacular. Almost coming to an end. I'm going to kind of miss it when it's gone because then I'm, forced back into programs where people try to find love. I don't really want to do that for the next few weeks. Andrew. Can I take one last shot at it before you leave? Sure. Okay, so I've been listening to you, what, four years now? Yeah, it probably seems like longer. Yeah, and you've always said the Canadian government is not communist. Yes. You've been saying that. There's nothing communist about it. They, we voted them in. We can vote them out. Yeah, but we, we can. Have, we have a minority government right now. Yes. Seizing money? Yes. Uh, arresting people for standing in front of Parliament? Okay. Nonviolent? Okay. You know who does that? I don't know who, Andrew. I think we all know the answer. Oh, <laughs> and and what, what, I find, what I find fascinating is the media. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh it's, it's, it's normal. It's normal to do this. It's normal. I don't think... Yeah, I, normal Andrew, in China, Andrew, normal Andrew, in Andrew, Korea. Andrew, I know for a fact that you cannot find me any media outlet that says this is normal. That's why it's called the Emergencies Act. It's not normal. What, what's the emergency, though? The, 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 well, the emergency, what? at least a in the eyes of, of the... A bunch of trucks parked downtown in front of Justin Trudeau's house and he's it, Well, he's not, they're not parked in front of Justin Trudeau's house. No, your Ottawa well, geography. No, they are parked in front of his house because he thinks he owns the parliament. He thinks he owns Canada. Well, how, do you, how do you know that? Because that's the way he acts. That's the way okay. he, he talks. Andrew, you know what would what what could stop this? Hmm. Would be all of the parties getting together in the House of Commons and voting against the Trudeau government, which is called what? Or you know what could stop this? No, no, no. What's good? What's it called, Andrew? Democracy. Yes, that's a boy. But why? But why can't Trudeau come out and say, "I am sorry for what I have done the last two years"? Maybe he's not sorry for what he's done for the last two years. Would that make you happy, Andrew? You'd still hate him. It wouldn't matter, right? Well, at least, at least, come out and be like. You guys can stay here for as long as you want, but seizing property, seizing bank accounts, attacking people is not democracy. So do you, but do you think democracy is giving whoever yells the loudest what they want? Yes. That's democracy? Yes. Oh, Andrew, go read something. Come on. That's not the way we're supposed to operate, whoever yells the loudest. Come on. Uh, let's hear what Brittany has to say. <laughs> All right. Well, you both have played Wordle, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm still in the middle of my game for the day. Don't tell me how long do you spend playing Wordle? Well, I, spend five I, I got minutes. a show to produce, and I can never come. I got the first two letters again today. It's very difficult. I hate these word games. Why are you doing it? You don't have well, to go. You're a sheeple. That's your problem. Uh, 
All right. Mm-hmm. Well, then maybe this new game isn't for Polly. But Brian, you said that you got the, today's word within five minutes. So a spinoff of Wordle is Quordle. Quordle. All right. So, okay. I've seen it. I don't know what it is. So in this one, you have to solve four words in one game. Wow. And you have nine guesses to get all four words. Oh, it's Ooh. like that Price is Right game where you got to choose... You got to write down the price of the car, and you can only use like four digits. Then you get the right order, and then you move over to the next pad. Are these all different words? Are they are they words a root of the same word, perhaps? No, they're all they're all different. And so, how it appears is like four four games, kind like almost like um like Foursquare, Sudoku, something like that, right? Okay. And. You, when you type in a word, the letters will highlight on the other games where if the, those letters are in it or not. Ooh, okay. It's it is very tough. I just tried to play it. I was not successful <laughs> at all. Um, so if you're looking for more of a challenge and you found Wordle to be a little too easy, this could be the one. I would no. uh, I would think the first word <laughs> in Wordle would be probably ripoff. Because that's what yeah. it sounds like to me. <laughs> oh, wait, sorry. Another, that's right. Another clip here. Yeah. One more. One more. Here we are. We're getting it ready. That's okay. Now. Give me a fever! Oh, we're definitely getting our funk on now. Holly, what have we learned on this show? There's a song for everything, right? Yeah. Well, okay. February 16th in the year 600. The day very much like today, if I remember correctly. (laughs) (laughs) It was an enormous day. It was on this date that Pope Gregory the Great, who took over from the great Pope Gregory the Nothing to write home about, uh, made his papal decree (laughs) (laughs) that God bless you is the proper response to anyone who sneezes. It took the Pope to decide that, by the way. Pope Gregory I ordered unceasing prayer for divine intercession. Part of his command was that anyone sneezing be blessed immediately. God bless you. Since sneezing was often either A, the first sign that someone was falling ill with the plague, or B, the first sign that someone was being possessed by Satan. (laughs) It became customary to say God bless you as a response to one sneezing. Perhaps not surprising. There's an awful lot of mentions of sneezing in religion, which I thought you might be interested to find out. Yes. For example, in Islam, I'm not making any of this up, by the way. In Islam, the Prophet Muhammad instructed Muslims who sneeze to say, thanks to Allah. And whoever hears them say that should reply, may Allah have mercy on you. And the person who sneezes should reply, may Allah guide you to the right path and calm your mind. That sounds too complicated. That's a lot of work. That's a lot just because someone sneezed. Well, it gets better. If you have one of those moments where there are repeated sneezes, you keep replying the same reply for a maximum of three times. Three times only, not four, not two, but three. A maximum of three times. No more. You may knock only three (laughs) times. Not two, not four, but three. (laughs) All right? And then the reply is changed to, may Allah heal you. And the replies stop. By then, of course, you have either fallen over dead from the plague <laughs> or you have been completely consumed by the devil. Meanwhile, an undated story from the Buddha's lifetime. So we go we off, off we go into another area. Uh, concerning customs around sneezing is as follows. Once while giving a talk, he sneezed, and everyone in the audience called out, 
Live long. This made so much noise. And the talk, prosper. No, not that. That's Spock. Oh. Uh, the talk was interrupted. The Buddha then asked the audience, when live long is said after someone sneezes, do they live long or not because of that? So the Buddhist monks sat around and talked about this and say, you know what? Technically, it doesn't make any difference. We can say live long. We don't know if you live any longer. We don't know if you live any less. The Buddha agreed and said that, therefore, it is not necessary to say live long each time someone sneezes. All right. No one is as fascinated by this as I I had no idea that there was all these traditions around sneezing. Well, because, again, when the plague came around, that was a concern that if you sneeze, that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. Haven't we lived through that for the last two years? And, you know, convenient to add in possibly being possessed by the devil. Yeah, I had heard that years ago. They thought it was a possession of some sort. That's right. So by sneezing, of course, the devil is coming out. You need to say, God bless you. Therefore, the devil will go away. I don't know that it works, but it seems like a lot of work when someone's sneezing. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Uh, still plenty to come this afternoon, but we go to Scott right now. Scott, go ahead. Just want to make a comment, uh, Brian, on, sure. uh, you know, going to miss you, number one. and But um, you were talking about the plague. Yes. And if you remember as a kid, we oh, at least I did, I grew up with Ring Around the Rosie. Okay. Pocket full of posy. And that all has to do with the plague. And people that were dying then. <laughs> Such a fun children's nursery rhyme, isn't it, Scott? <laughs> oh, isn't it? <laughs> uh, thank you, Scott. I appreciate that. You know what? So many, so many nursery rhymes and fairy tales are really dark, right? And uh, <laughs> it's just that reminded me of that. That's that's funny. Uh, somebody sent me a note. Try try sneezing in a store nowadays. You don't get any God bless you. Well, that's kind of true. Have you gone through that where you've been walking through a place? And all of a sudden you feel the urge to either sneeze or maybe you get something in your throat and you got a cough and you don't want to do it because everybody's going to look at you like you are the Grim Reaper. I've certainly lived that. Rob, go ahead. Brian, I'm going to miss you. We Aww. had some uh, great conversations. Yeah, we did. We did, Rob. It was, it's, always, it's always been fun, even if you have well, been. I, I'm sorry they, they didn't want to pay you what That's you're, you're worth. That's it's it's every everybody gets to do that, so we we move uh, yeah, on. Yeah, no, I know, but you, you got to remember the six hundred million dollars they took from Justin Trudeau. No, they didn't. I, as them. I said many times before, broadcast, broadcast, broadcast media, entities Rob. don't get that. Uh, no, that's true, but they could have passed it down to you guys. <laughs> oh, okay, so thanks, Rob. It's true, but no, it's true. End of that. No, look, if they were if they were given six hundred million dollars, I'd have got a share of the pie. Darn right. But no, didn't happen. Man, that is that is one well-worn cliche. Like that that horse has been so dead. It's <laughs> what? Which cliche? Media bailouts? Well, that one. Yeah, the six hundred million. Like that. The the horse has no chance of getting up ever again. It's, it's just look, and 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 I've said this before. I don't like it, but. Every time I hear somebody complain about that, I see other people complain, well, I'm not paying, you know, $4 a month to read the record. You wonder why there's trouble. It's not that hard to figure out. It's it's a difficult uh, media landscape. It really, really is. And, you know, information comes from all over the place. You do the best you can with it. Man, this job got way tougher. 
over the past 20 years. I can guarantee you that. Used to be pretty easy to find a couple of decent sources. Now, it is a treasure hunt at the best of times. I check two, three, four, five times on some things. The only things I know for true are the fact that Pope Gregory the Great said it was okay to say God bless you. And somebody's probably going to bring that up as fake news. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. have started to uh, fall very, very, very quickly in the last few days. Of course, we had uh, Premier Doug Ford talking about uh, the end of vaccine passports and uh, restrictions being lifted, I think for a lot of us, a lot more quickly than we perhaps expected. Welcomed, of course, because it will be nice to be able to do things as we used to be able to do. One of those things, of course, is traveling. While travel has Reopened up in the past few months. There are barriers in place, and having to get PCR tests is, I am told by friends, uh, fairly expensive. Suzanne Acton Gervais is the uh, interim president and CEO of the National Airlines Council. That organization represents the country's largest air carriers, including Air Canada, Transat Jazz Aviation, and WestJet. And uh, the announcement by the federal government updated travel and testing measures, I think, made that industry. Pretty happy. Suzanne joins us this afternoon. Good afternoon, Suzanne. Good afternoon. Uh, your first reaction, I guess, is is happiness. Any step forward is a good one, right? <laughs> exactly. Any step forward at this point is a very welcome step. So yesterday's announcement by the Government of Canada was absolutely a welcome step forward by Canada's airlines. Uh, Canada's airlines are ready to help Canadians safely travel to connect with one another and the world. Um, Having said that, uh, our industry, you know, depends very much on, relies on, on predictability and consistency. And, and we did feel that the, you know, there was a little bit of, uh, of a missed opportunity. We would like to see a roadmap from the Canada, the Canadian government would looks at dropping the pre-departure testing requirements for fully vaccinated travelers. That would be in line with what other countries are doing at this time, including the United Kingdom, but other countries such as France and Switzerland, Ireland, Denmark, and Sweden, and that number and that list grows every day. It is it is really hard to keep up with all the requirements that are out there, Suzanne. So it is. So right now, if I if I want to go on a flight somewhere, I still have to get a test. Uh, th- th- that depends. Uh, there, <laughs> as I said, there are many, many countries, foreign countries, that are dropping these requirements altogether. The fact of the matter is, however, for Canadians who are returning to Canada, there will still be required to be a test. Some of the changes that came in yesterday do provide some flexibility. Uh, we did see, uh, you know, a, a shift from the government of Canada to now including rapid antigen tests. So this will provide some level of comfort to the many Canadians who are keen to travel once again. But uh, yes, you're you're correct. Uh, to come back to Canada, the requirement to have a pre-departure test still remains. Uh, as as we kind of move forward here, we certainly expect that people will, you know, begin to fly again. Perhaps not right away to the levels they were pre-pandemic. How? What's the general thought in the industry on on how people and how quickly people will come back? 
Well, Canada's airlines are are open and and ready to welcome uh, Canadians back. Um, Flying on Canada's airlines has always been safe, and we were among the first to adopt vaccination requirements for staff and employees and providing proof of vaccination will continue to be enforced. So we're hoping that these level of of comfort and safety and reassurances do uh, bring Canadians back to what they enjoy doing, which is connecting with each other, you know, discovering the world. And also we look forward to welcoming foreigners back to this beautiful country to discover it. The reality is that we take the responsibility of ensuring the safety of Canadians very seriously and we continue to do so. So we sure hope that Canadians will be comfortable to return to travel soon. The last two years obviously have been devastating to travel and hospitality and tourism and all of those various industries, Suzanne. Does does the airline industry still need help? Uh, You're correct. The airlines industry has been hit very, very hard by by this pandemic. Um, Prior to the pandemic, collectively, our member airlines, you know, transported over 80 80 million passengers, directly employed over 60,000 workers. And the travel and tourism sector in general offered employment opportunities to over 630,000 people. So, I would say that the the industry is definitely in, in need of, of recovery and restart. And the announcements of the, by the government of Canada, yes, they were, were very welcome. It's a first step in order to um, inject some uh, some much needed activity into uh, the se- the travel and tourism sector across Canada. Uh, you mentioned how uh, how airlines need a level of stability and predictability and and. And staff members need that too. Is does the industry still face some staffing issues at this point? Uh, labor challenges have been uh, a challenge for 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 many sectors uh, throughout this pandemic, and and there's no doubt that the airline and the travel and tourism sector is is no exception to that. What I can tell you is that Canada's airlines are ready to welcome back Canadians, and they will. Always, they've adapted throughout this pandemic. They've made sure that Canadians can travel safely and securely, and they will continue to do so. Suzanne, thanks for your time today. Thank you very much. Suzanne Acton-Gervais is the interim president and CEO of the uh, Canadian National Airline Council. They, uh, it's an organizational group that represents the biggest of the air car- carriers, Air Canada, Air Transat, Jazz, Aviation, and WestJet. The rules yesterday... Announcing changes, meaning you're not going to have to get the PCR test on the way back. That was a financial barrier to some people. Some some were willing to pay it to add that extra cost, and I think it was running around $300 to test. Uh, that wasn't a, a price that I was prepared to pay to go anywhere. And so it has been, well, it's been now two years since we've actually been on an airplane, which is the longest stretch that I can imagine in, oh, I don't know, probably... 20 years or so, am I prepared right tomorrow to jump on a plane? No, no, I am not. We'll wait for a little bit. Don't have uh, don't have much of an issue with that. It's always nice to get away, but spring is coming. This is this is a good thing. Usually, by this time of year, we would have been away in probably January just to escape the weather. And while I know the person I live with would very much like to escape the weather, at this time we're just kind of putting it on hold for a little bit of time, see the way things roll out. And I think a lot of people are going to feel the same way. 
Uh, I think it's probably a really boost, a really good boost for the airline industry and travel and tourism because it is happening before March break, assuming, of course, that everything continues to kind of roll along the way it has over the last little while. Numbers continue to trend down. Restrictions continue to be lifted. People begin to feel better because there are going to be people who are less comfortable with heading out into this version of our new world. It will be a slightly different place. We will be seeing people wearing masks from time to time, even without mandates. I think that will be a continuing theme. And how long it takes the tourism industry to to come back, hard to say. It was It was crazy, stupid, busy before all this began to happen. You know, whether it will jump up into that, it's going to be, in many ways, too late to save whatever wintertime travel goes on heading south because we are into the middle of February now, so already lost a couple of months of the season, but hopefully by next fall, things straighten up a bit. I don't know what our plans might be to leap onto an airplane. We did a big trip a couple of years ago heading off to uh, Greece for our anniversary, so that's kind of out of the cards right now. Uh, perhaps something relatively simple, maybe something inside the country. I've got a sister in Victoria who I haven't seen in a couple of years and uh, having grown up out there, it's always nice to uh, visit the left coast. So we may do that as well. And now that there are all these flights leaving from Waterloo Region International Airport, maybe we'll take a run on it. I'm, I'm well past, as a bit of an aside, worrying about the comforts of flying because the comforts of flying really don't exist anymore. Not back in the day when there was ward air and they gave you actual metal cutlery and real food compared to what you get now. Yeah, those were the days. Kyle, go ahead. Fly private, my friend. Fly private. That's how you get the metal cutlery and stuff. <laughs> you got metal cutlery on your plane, Kyle? Come on. Uh, exactly. No bathrooms, though. But, hey, I, uh, um, we've, my sister and I have already planned a trip next year with Dad. We said there's no excuses. We're going to Europe next year. And then I've already planned the next three trips in the next three years already. Look at you. Okay, so you're go- are you going to Europe to uh, Croatia? Slovenia. Slovenia, okay. I couldn't remember yeah. which one it was. Yeah, yeah. Slovenia, and then uh, pop over to Hungary to see my other side of the family. And then the other place is Australia, and then another place is South Africa. Ooh, Australia. My brother my brother has spent his honeymoon in Australia. We've never gone there. South Africa would be fascinating, too, I think. Yeah, I th- I'm going more for South Africa just for the history and stuff. I think it's cool just to see. Um, and Australia, I'm just going because I got friends there. So Now, you, you see, I, I, I know, now we did this, actually, when we went to Japan, Kyle is okay. we uh, we bought a Japan Rail Pass, which I think at the time was $262, and it allowed us to jump on trains all the time. It even covered our cost to go from Tokyo to Hiroshima. Um, yeah. But look into an Australian Rail Pass, because it's a great big country. It's kind of like being here. I hope you're going for more than a week. I'll have to check it out. I'm Speaking of Japan, um, I was talking to my dad, because he's doing international business, and he's been to Japan seven times. Fascinating place. Really yeah, is. he loved it. He said it was the number one place that he's ever go to, and he'd jump on an airplane and go again if he could. So there you go. I would argue it's the only place you can go in the world where you can get onto the train and sit beside a sumo wrestler. It's really <laughs> thanks, Brian. Actually done that. <laughs> thanks, and that's you know we we've talked about you know where where do we really want to go at this point? I know my wife has a real thing about going back to Amsterdam. Her uh, her father's. Uh, roots go back to Amsterdam, and she has a number of relatives there. And when we did actually make that run there a few years ago, uh, we stayed with them in their little tiny house, which was about 40 feet high and 3 feet wide. 
And it was, it they were they were very very kind to us. They're considerably older, but uh, they they drove us around. They showed us the really best places. They took us off to Kuchenhof to see all the tulips. By the way, there's more than a handful of tulips in in and around Amsterdam. So she has a real thing to go back there. I am one of those people who doesn't really like to go back to the same places twice. So we'll we'll have to have a discussion of it. We've got friends in England, and actually, uh, they own a, he owns a seafood restaurant in London, and had him on the air about uh, oh probably last winter, because he had uh, come down with COVID a couple of times. Probably need to get over there, and there's a few other places we wouldn't mind uh, getting a chance to travel to, while we still can. And that's, uh, that sentence is always on the end of everything these days. Star 570-570-2545, This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Our industry, you know, depends very much on, relies on, on predictability and consistency. And we did feel that, the, you know, there was a little bit of a missed opportunity. We would like to see a roadmap from the Canada the Canadian government would look at dropping the pre-departure testing requirements for fully vaccinated travellers. That would be in line with what other countries are doing at this time. Suzanne Acton-Gervais is the interim president and CEO of the Canadian Airlines Council. Uh, it's an industry group that represents the largest of the airlines in the country, Air Canada, WestJet, Jazz, uh, Transat. All of those are in that group, and they, of course, lobby the government for things they think will be helpful to the airline industry. Everybody wants a roadmap these days, right? We've heard that. We've heard we need a roadmap from the Ford government, we need a roadmap from the federal government. I'm somewhat sympathetic to those levels of government because look how how quickly things have changed. You know, if a month ago or six weeks ago you'd placed a roadmap, it would have looked considerably different. And, you know, given the way people have been lately, where if you change something, all of a sudden that's horrible... Maybe just best to stay away from the roadmap. Take it as it comes. Get out there. Do the right things. I don't. I don't know how long it uh, it will take to make people comfortable. And certainly, here's the thing that we know about the last two years: revenue that has been lost in the tourism, hospitality, airline industry. You cannot get that back because it's it's just quite simply gone. Rob, go ahead. Uh, sorry about before. Uh, uh, no worries. I, we just have to. You know, I, I don't want to cause any tremendous problems. They're giving oh, no, me the I opportunity. You guys deserve the money. Oh, not, absolutely. Not the, the head honchos <laughs> up at Rogers. But, you know, I don't I don't feel the need to, to go out in that way, if you understand. So, fair enough. Not, not a problem. I, but I do have a question for you about the, the Emergency Act that was just passed. Sure. You know, uh, we're all talking so much about the Emergency Act that nobody's talking about the 500 million dollars we're giving Ukraine in cash and 80 million dollars in weapons. Um, I think that's against the Geneva uh, uh, Convention. No, I don't think it's against the Geneva Convention, which usually worries about the rights of, of people who are fighting in wars. It's not not against the Geneva Convention to give Ukraine money. Well, it is against a lot of giving them money. It's our money. Well, no, it's uh, maybe maybe they should ask us first. They may well have, Rob. We don't know what the conversations between the president <laughs> they and Ukraine. They didn't ask me. No, but they, no, we elect people. But what do you do? You want to, what do you want to do, Rob? You want to leave Ukraine by itself, deal with it on your own? If Russia invades, you know, tough. Uh, well, you know what? We talk so much about Russia invading. I mean, they're doing war games like the states do everywhere else in the world. That's true. Uh, and, and on top of that. 
Uh, Ukraine is a, a, a bottom desolate country right now because of the Bidens. I've wrecked it. You got to remember, this is a country that had a coup six years ago, seven years ago. I don't, I don't know if we want to. Five billion dollars at the U.S. cost, and we're now we're giving them money to to fight a, a fantasy war that the, the U.S. is trying to create. Yeah, I, well, I think there's plenty of blame for creation of of said fantasy wars, Rob. I, look, I look, I don't disagree. We're a, we're a middle power caught between a whole bunch a bunch of big powers who are doing the things that they feel are necessary, and the rest of us kind of look at it and go, "What the hell?" Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair rob i appreciate it it's and it's yeah things sneak under the radar but it's a really interesting discussion there zafari go ahead good afternoon sir how are you today i'm good good mr rob brought a very good point which is totally makes sense to me and i have a comment can i add my comment sure so we have to think that in russia and those communist countries you have to be very, very, very smart to be a president like, uh, what do you call it? Vladimir Putin, right? Okay. He's a very smart man. I know good about Russian politicians, and I have two cousins that they were in Russia for many years. You have to be very smart in every way, and you have to have money faces to be a Russian, you know, or those communist countries, uh, uh, prime minister or president. And when I compare Justin Trudeau, to Vladimir Putin, it's it's like a kid. Justin Trudeau is a kid to Vladimir Putin. You never know that these two countries, you never know, this is politics. You never know these two countries get a playing game that by the name of the war, that, oh, we're going to, Russia going to attack me, and they get all the money from the taxpayer. At the end, there will, there, there, there will be no war, and they pocket the money. You never know, right? Our, our government, I hope, they, they have to be very smart, very careful about it, because I can never trust Russia government. You know what I mean? Because I've, I've lived under communist government. I never, we, can, we, we can't trust any politician, especially those, those politicians. They can play a game by the name of the war to pocket the money from these countries, and that's it. And at the end, they're like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry I got the money. I, we spend the money. Because it's in any way part of the world, once you get the money... You, even if you give the money to your cousin, to your brother, it's hard to get back. So we have to be very careful. They can play a game and get the money, and hey, they, they, they build their economy. Zafari, you know thanks for your call. I, I appreciate it. Look, there is a lot going on in uh, in Ukraine and with Russia. Is Russia going to invade? I don't. I don't believe that that's actually the case. There is much more going on here. Uh, there is always, as there there are in these things a significant amount of posturing for whatever those purposes are. I don't, I, but the problem with it, of course, is that, is that when we get into these situations, of course, that creates uncertainty. Uh, stock markets don't like uncertainty. You can see that. And I, I, I think a lot of us, and rightfully so, often wonder, you know, why do we get involved why Why does the United States get involved in the time? Why are Russia and the United States and China, all these countries, you know, battling back and forth over these other pieces of land, which they may not have a whole lot of interest in, but there's an interest in sending a message. You know, we have, over the years, kind of designated the United States as the world's police force. 
Now, maybe that has happened by default. Maybe that's happened because nobody else is willing to do some of those things. And all in the defense and the promotion of democracy, such as we decide to have it here, that's that's what is often being spread. And we had a, a guest a couple of weeks ago where some of the reason for the pushback from Russia is to gain status, regain status, to still be looked at as that superpower, which it is in some ways. But does it match up against what the Chinese are as a superpower, given the strength of their economy, etc.? All those things that go on, and Russia has its own struggles in those areas. These are things far beyond all of our pay grade. But we do certainly wonder, well, all of a sudden we're, we're shipping out a load to Ukraine of a half a billion dollars. We have military personnel on the ground there. And this is all in defense of, of NATO or in defense of the free choice for Ukraine to do the things that it wishes to do. It's a very, very complicated world. Wouldn't it be so much easier if we could just sit within our borders and not worry about anybody else? We're long past those days, I'm afraid. Uh, Coming up a little later on this afternoon, as oh, Brittany has sent me a note, which means something has been confirmed. Fiona McDonald will join us from uh, the University of Northern British Columbia, lovely part of the country, by the way. Uh, She's a professor of political science. Her article in the conversation, the quote, Freedom Convoy is a textbook case of what she calls aggrieved entitlement. That's an interesting conversation to have as this continues to, well, not really go anywhere because it's just sitting kind of statically in Ottawa. And uh, David Marskell will join us just after uh, 2.30 this afternoon. Dave's always good for a conversation. And we'll be particularly happy, of course, that things are starting to move again, be allowed to have more people into the museum, because that uh, unzipped exhibit was a pretty big deal to bring here, and it has operated under a fair amount of restrictions since it first got here. Those are two of the conversations. And then we'll have Mike Zenker on for no reason whatsoever from uh, Hope Fellowship Church. Uh, Mike first came on the air about a year and a half ago as we were talking about the things at uh, Trinity Bible Chapel, and uh, Mike would be my kind of go-to biblical translator, which the reason for that is while I may know a lot of trivia answers that are based on the Bible, I've discovered over the years as I watch Jeopardy, I don't really know a whole lot about the rest of it. So we get Mike to come in and talk about it. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. As you may or may not know, my last week here, done on Friday, and uh, so I've taken the opportunity over the last couple of uh, days to invite some favorite guests on. Ari Goldkind was on a couple of days ago. Uh, Peter Wollstonecroft joined us, I think it was yesterday. I'm kind of losing track of all my time, and we'll have some other guests as we go along. Kind of fits into my favorite folder a little bit is Mike Zenker from Hope Fellowship Church and joins us this afternoon. Hey, Mike. Hey, I can't believe I made the list. Well, it's, yikes. Well, I don't know if I'd take too much out of it. But. No, I won't. But, uh, hey, I, I will say on the front end, uh, we are really going to miss you because I think you've done a really good job in allowing conversations to happen, allowed the balance of opinions. Uh, I thought it was really, really good. I thought you were really relaxed on it. So we're going to miss you. Oh, that's so nice, Mike. I'm, uh, we haven't had a chance to talk for the last little while because all the craziness that we went through, what, a year ago? 
Yep. Is is that it? Really, when we were in that entire discussion with Trinity Bible Chapel and and yeah, that uh, was unique. Yep. I'm not. I'm not sure that you you kind of ever expected you were going to get sucked into the conversation that way. No, but but I'm glad I did for this one reason because I did not want uh, your listeners to think that is what church is really all about because it is not. And to to see what I love to do look really terrible and power driven and opinionated with with threats. I, I hate that. So I said, no, there's a better way to share this good news. So that's why I said yes. You have, you have such an interesting background, Mike. That's, uh, I, I, I think, the thing that really gets me. So for those who aren't familiar, fill up that uh, that file folder a little bit for, the, for oh us. Boy. Tell us where you came from and, and how well, you got here. <laughs> well, I grew up in KW um and uh went to multiple high schools i had the spiritual gift of truancy and so <laughs> you know i got around a lot but uh when i first came on the show with you it was about two years ago because i was sharing a story with you about um being abused by a roman catholic priest and how that priest got out of the country and so my journey has been impacted by that and discovering healing uh confronting those demons so to speak um, finding out you can walk through healing when you've been abused. And a lot of men don't talk about it at all. So, and yet I'm a minister. What the heck? Like, I should not be doing what I'm doing after that, that stuff. And so... So that's the part that gets me, Mike, is, is really, I can't imagine going through what you did and then saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back into the same institution. <laughs> so how? Well, uh, honestly, I still had a really cool, honest heart for who is this God I say I believe in. And you grow up being given all these answers uh, through Sunday school, sermons, blah, 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 blah. But in some places, you're not given permission to question the answers. And so when I began questioning the answers, I started to find much better news and a much better perspective on who God is and what the church should be and it's like, wow, we're not, we're not hearing this enough. So I got pretty excited, and I've just been learning ever since. So that, that's why there's got to be another voice giving good news, and there are many people who are sharing a better, more hope-filled perspective. So that, that, that book, Mike, which, as I've pointed out, I can answer numerous trivia questions on it when it comes to something like Jeopardy, but my knowledge of that book is, is probably <laughs> less than what it should be. So I don't know, is there, is there a different way... There's some people, I think, Mike, who who look at that book as a as an instruction manual. Yep. And I think you look at it differently, right? Yes. Yeah. It's a it's a picture book. It's a photo album. And in the Old Testament, you you, you can't see Jesus very well. He's kind of hiding behind playing peekaboo. In the New Testament, he says, "Hey, hold on, guys. What you heard about my father uh, was incomplete. I'm here to correct your misconception. That's what Jesus came to do to reveal." a better picture of who his father was because the messaging has been awful. So uh, I think when you look at the Bible, there's a number of ways to see it. My view is my view. There are other people listening who've heard that it is a a book filled with zero mistakes whatsoever. Um, And um, then I would question, well, what do you mean? Which translation? Which uh, version, which, uh, which uh, original language was it translated from? And there's so many complicated questions as you go deeper and deeper. That's not as simple an answer to say, well, the Bible plainly says, well, it doesn't. It only says it to you that way. And that means more conversations need to happen to try and understand what this book's purpose is. So did you, did you go back to the church, Mike, because you needed answers? 
No. Um, I still, I'm not going to get all too religious with you, but I still believe in Jesus in a very big way. I love Jesus, and I'm finding a better picture of who Jesus is. And so I've always loved God. And so I, I, I just was drawn into it. In fact, that's why I connected with the Catholic Church as a young boy. I was a newspaper carrier, and I wanted to understand what are they believing that I can't see. Or in my small, arrogant way, I was going to say, hey, we're right and you're wrong, and I'm going to show you, which was really dumb, but that's kind of the attitude of young kids sometimes. But I, I honestly wanted to know more. Help me understand what these, these artifacts are, these statues. Uh, I had a deep interest for that. So honestly, I questioned a lot, and it's been really a great journey. So I, I, I look at religion in a different way, Mike. I kind of think everybody's, everybody is, in many ways, preaching the same thing. Be a good person. Or, if I could put it on a T-shirt, don't be a dink. Although I don't think anybody's yes. actually putting that on T-shirts at the church yes, level they yet. But yes, they have. <laughs> I, like, I, I think that, to me, is, is, is really the basis. Be a good person. Yeah. Try to be nice to people. You know what? Love your family. Love other people. All that stuff. Do I, do, do I need a church for that? No. That's the short answer. So that's the good news. You don't have to go to a church. And I'm the pastor speaking. But <laughs> if you want to connect with others, let your will and want be that desire, then go do it. But when it's legislated, I have a hard time with it now. It's like the more you put rules on people, the more they're going to resist it. So to me, you nailed it when you said love, because I think the entire Scripture is about the love of God, and God is love. It doesn't just have it. It's not an attribute or an app in his phone. It, it is his DNA, and we have that running through our veins, too, except I think many people are blind to that. I think a lot of people were surprised, Mike, a year ago when we started to see the things about you know the church in Aylmer and, and uh, Trinity Bible Chapel, et cetera, et cetera, that there, there was, yep. that there was that—I'll use this word for lack of a better one— there was that faction out there. But I, I, I'm assuming you always knew. I knew. I, I grew up with some of that. So I recognized a lot of the legalism that was connected to it. And again, there are many great people that go to that church. What I feel was screwed up is you brought God into politics, and that totally contaminated the pot. The whole stew spoiled. So don't do that. And it's happening now with this convoy. Same thing. Don't bring God into it. He's, he's not on either side. And that really ticks me off when I, and, and I see so, so much division, even among people that call themselves Christians in this. So I'm, I'm trying to avoid conversations on that because it's, it's not helpful. It doesn't bring light and love to the situation. I want to talk about what brings hope. You know, I work in long-term care at University Gates as a chaplain, and my number one goal here, and I'm sitting in the parking lot right now, is to go and speak to folks who need encouragement today. They don't need to hear the repetition of negativity. Let's bring in a positive vibe, bring in some love, some hope, great music. Uh, this is what their soul needs. And I think there's a lot of people whose souls are really disrupted right now, and we're seeing it um, spilled out in the emotional response. So I think our souls need to come to a place of stillness and re-reflect. And I think you're going to find through that contemplative meditation, prayer, whatever you want to call it, look for the peace inside you and watch the anger dissipate. Because right now, all the stuff's fueled by anger, which is failed expectations. So I, I wonder that two years after all this, Mike, if, and I, I don't want to use the term religion, but because I'll use the term faith, because I think it's a better yeah, place to be. That's a better be. word, much better word. Uh, is, 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 
the expression of faith, the, 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 I guess, belief in faith, do you think it's in a better place now than it was two years ago or a worse place? Well, that's a, that's a trick question. I, I'll say this. Whatever was um, unsure of any conflicts that you had buried about your faith, the, the questions that you've never had answered, all came to the surface over COVID. I've seen it in relationships uh, where there were tough relationships that were not resolved. COVID brought all the problems to the surface. You couldn't hide it anymore because you're stuck in the house with people, you know, or whatever. It, I think it, COVID-19 has forced us to deal with some internal problems psychologically, therapeutically, that we never wanted to, but now are forced to. And that comes with faith, too. Now we question, wait a minute, where's this faith coming from? And my message is, the faith is always, any faith we have has been given to us by, as a gift from Jesus. Nobody can muster up their own faith. So whether it's small, large, who cares? It's not about, you know, having a measuring stick. <laughs> it's about, okay, the faith I have, has been given to me as a gift. I'll take what I got and enjoy it. So we don't we don't necessarily need that that book to decide we've lived a good life, right? No, no, you don't. And but the good news is it does point to the hope we do have. So while you, it may be hard to understand that book, the Bible, so to speak, uh, depending which one, because there's like a whole bunch. You got the Catholic Bible, Orthodox Bible, the Protestant Bible. All of them are different, have different books, but there's a lot of similarities between them all. So the book still points to the hope. It's it's still got arrows in it pointing to Jesus, and that's what we're missing. We're, and if we don't understand that, we're going to take the sub-rules and try and turn to something we can control. And, and that's just, never its intent. And you kind of have to wade through all the, all, all the threats and the other stuff that's in there to get to well, the other part, right? Well, it, there's, there's a simple way to learn. Uh, I've been teaching on it, and I'm probably going to reteach how to understand your Bible in a quick, you know, couple messages because it's not that difficult to get it started. But how do, if you don't know where to start, it's hard. You can really mess it up. So yeah, get get somebody that you trust that is a loving person that seems to emulate this love of God. If they don't emulate the love of God and they're, they're more angry of a person, run. Don't use their advice. Find somebody that seems to kind of have that gentleness of who Jesus is and has a, a gentle tone to converse and answer questions, doesn't make you feel shameful, that is the person you seek advice from. This is a, this is my favorite religious question that maybe, Mike, you can provide some insight to. Uh-oh. Yeah, I know. Is, is, <laughs> is God so powerful that he himself can make a rock so heavy that he can't lift it? Uh, so, when was the last... No. Oh, <laughs> uh, what a dumb question. I love it. I don't know. It's, 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 seems to, it seems to touch all the bases. Um, I guess, uh, Mike, I know you've been under restrictions for the past yeah. couple of years. Are you getting close to the to the well, opening we're, up? We're, we're open now uh, to a maximum of 50% well, well distance. We can't open up anymore until any, like, more people until the masks are removed. So we're at max, and we're not full. People are. Some of our folks are just more comfortable online for now until it's fully open. And um, yeah, I, I love the in person. I love online. Both have value, but uh, if I'm honest, in person just is different. There's there's a connection with the eyes with people. The the physical proximity makes a difference, and that's become really real. Well, and you know it's funny because this job here has always been online. Is we've we've never had that uh, that yeah. physical connection with listeners, so you have to find it in a different way. But when I have done 
when I have done things in front of live audiences, whether that's uh, sometimes interviews or even just a discussion on things, yeah, that connection with a live audience, that yeah. they it, that's really, really hard to replace. Yeah. I noticed that uh, the pandemic wearing masks has forced us to cue in to facial um, reflections and responses, especially the eyes, learning to read each other's eyes. Um, we're being forced to learn that skill, which I think is a skill we need to keep because, uh, you know, our faces have been covered. It's helpful to have the masks off. I want them gone. But maybe we can learn and say, hey, let's look at the eyes a little bit more. They're telling us more than we think. Another trick religious question for you. Okay, Great. just popped into my I know, I just popped in my mind. So how does God desi- decide who wins the Super Bowl? Because he appears to cheer for everybody. So if you look on my Facebook page, or Sunday morning on Super Bowl Sunday, I posted in my church service, the start of the service, I was trying to find something goofy. But I, I had a football player cartoon, I'm doing this for you, Jesus, doing the touchdown. And then the next screen shows Jesus watching hockey with his feet up on the table. <laughs> <laughs> so many sports, man. Yeah, I think, listen, if both sides are kneeling down and praying, my honest opinion is God's looking down and, go, and it's going to sit back and watch a really good game. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing full well that if he wanted to, he could tip the ball out of somebody's range. So that's, Absolutely. That's, that's a lot of power to have and especially not use. Mike, I appreciate your time as always. It's been an honor and uh, have a great next season and I look forward to staying in touch with you. All right, Mike Zenker is the uh, senior pastor of Hope fellowship church i was really hoping for an answer on that super bowl thing but darn he's good star 570-570-2545-1-800-570-5715 this is getting here today on city news 570 uh nice conversation with mike zanker it was very it was very interesting time during the uh, Trinity Bible Chapel Fufara. You know, in, including being yelled at by a variety of people for putting the other pastor on the air. But I'm, I am a big fan of hearing from as many people as we can. And I know for some of you, it's not enough. I get it. But sometimes we can only ask. There's a lot of people that uh, people send me notes about saying you should have this person on who absolutely refused to come on anywhere, not just here. Terry, go ahead. Hey, Brian, uh, you were asking the pastor that you had on there about who who God would cheer for. Yes. Do you remember a show back years ago, Dave Allen at Large? Do you remember yes. that show? Yep. Anyway, he, you know, he used to do those skits. He did a skit once where uh, you had these two houses of England. I think it was like House of Lancaster, and I can't remember the other house. And there was the two combatants. So they were pr- praying to, to God, who was, you know, was looking you know, down below. And, you know, they were praying, and then God took out a coin and he flipped it and and he said well looks like that house next on that side is going to so he gives the thumbs up and he gave the other house the thumbs down so i guess maybe he just flips a coin maybe. and decides to win entirely possible terry makes about as much sense as anything that's, else that's, i can come up with listen that's why uh the old uh, texas stadium in dallas that's why they put a, a hole on the roof so god because they used to call it america's team and said well they put that hole there so God can look down, and look you know, look upon His team. So, well, so far He has not blessed that particular team. No, not team, not, Terry. not not within the last uh, I don't know uh, thirty years. Yeah, but. hasn't been good. Okay. Thanks, Terry. Appreciate the call. Zoltan, the magnificent. Go ahead. Hey, nice to. Hey, you know, I haven't talked to you again. I talked to you the other day. By the way, the rock thing. It's an illogical question. Not even in, in you know, <laughs> not even God can get past that one because it is illogical. I know. 
<laughs> omnipotence does not work there. Hey, speaking of omnipotence, there was a, uh, an item I read some time ago that kind of remind me, you know, when they're talking about Jesus Christ, that um, since Jesus is, is really a popular name back then and now in certain countries, they thought maybe they got the wrong man. Okay. Did you? <laughs> I just read a very brief thing on that. They said, you know, they, what if they had three or four Jesus? Get that plural? Jesus. I, I believe, is a word. Yeah, it's all time. Jesus up there with uh, Barabbas. And they said, oh, hell, we'll take Barabbas because this Jesus, this Jesus is really a bad guy. And they got the wrong man. <laughs> it's entirely possible. never know. Thanks, Zoltan. I appreciate the call. Uh, Walter, go ahead. Yeah, Brian. Um, I, I've only got one question for you, and uh, if a man speaks in a forest where no woman can hear, is he still wrong? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, 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 no. that's the wrong answer. No, he is uh, always wrong, Walter. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, listen, I've been out of the loop for a couple of days or so here. What's going on with you? I hear you saying goodbye. What's going on? I'm, I'm, off, I'm off to another adventure, Walter. And when does that start? Well, that starts Monday, but it doesn't involve a radio, so. Oh, I see. So what does that mean? Farwell's going with you? I have, I have no idea where he's going. We haven't had a chance to talk. He's been away all day, oh. so. Oh, okay, okay. Well, all the best to you, buddy. I've enjoyed talking to you over the over the millennia. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been that, that's for sure. Thanks, Walter. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's, uh, it, and I know. You see, this is the thing. Uh, radio works because uh, you repeat. You, you you have a consistent message, and you repeat it. Because not everybody, I know this is shocking to many of you, but, but not everybody spends three hours a day glued to their radio. They should, and you'll be much smarter if you do, but they don't. People drift in and out. Sometimes I had, I had a note from somebody earlier today. says, I'm into the car, in and out of the car all day. What's going on? So that's... That's just the nature of, of radio, the nature of, of the way we do these things, and not everybody hears everything. And, I, and that's okay. I'm good with that. Word gets out, we'll spread it around, everything will be fine. And then uh, we, will have, we will have so much fun on Friday, it will be, uh, it will be almost untenable. That's, that's what I want to think. That's my, that's my vision here, because I don't want to go out with those bad notes. That's not fair. I don't, I don't need, I'm grown up now. Don't need to do that anymore. I have had my occasions of bitterness in this business, and I'm, not, and I'm not doing that anymore. Life is too darn short. So let's just kind of enjoy the ride, however long the ride lasts, and, of course, as long as you're tall enough to get on this ride. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. You may be big and fat. Or uglier than sin, all the ladies shut you out. You're wondering how to get in. Well, here is my advice for how to make a splash. You can have your pick of gals if you've only got a mustache. A mustache, a mustache, if you've only got a mustache. A mustache, a mustache, a mustache, big mustache, thick mustache, my mustache, your mustache. Say the word, the word mustache. A mustache, a mustache. Now we both have said mustache. Welcome back to Kitchener Today, another hour and a half. Uh, we will have David Marskell from the uh, museum on a little bit later, as he is no doubt celebrating the uh, reopening of, of the province. Uh, right now, though, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, well, China, North America, 
reliance on supply chains, reliance on technology. We're seeing that exposed in many different ways. What do we do about it? Felix Arndt is the John F. Wood Chair in Entrepreneurship just down the street at the University of Guelph, joins us this afternoon. Good afternoon, Felix. Brian, good to talk to you. Uh, So that is really interesting. Relationships between China and the rest of the world, supply chains, technology issues, it's all very complicated, and the tensions we have in this world certainly don't help, do they? Well, if you see that, I think the Wall Street Journal today titled actually that uh, the U.S. didn't fulfill the U.S.-China trade deal. So I think uh, Joe Biden will have to deal with that, and that will, of course, have uh, consequences for everyone. We are we are very reliant on China in a number of different ways. Every now and then I hear talk that we need to reduce that reliance. That doesn't seem like it's going to happen, does it? Well, I wonder, and I guess this is something that uh, many companies have faced during COVID and will face um, even more so in the future and should probably consider um, what they're going to do. I mean, China is a very attractive place to be. It has almost all industries um, and can almost deliver all products, uh, which is the only country in the world that can actually do that. Um, So it's an attractive uh, place to um, get supply from. But I think a lot of con- a lot of companies have already in the uh, or during the pandemic diversified their supply chain because um, of the supply chain issues and increasing logistics costs, and that is something that um, will probably increase. And we just wrote a little piece on this um, and suggest that companies will have to think through very thoroughly what they're going to do of whether they keep supplying or even being operating in China or whether they can go somewhere else. Well, and, and isn't that the, the, the problem, really? It's, it's hard to find somewhere else to go that, that satisfies all the needs? It is very difficult. I mean, if you see that China is such a powerful um, supplier of so many goods and um, relatively cheap, I mean, it depends a little bit on what company or what industry you're in. Right? In some industries, you might go actually just market-driven to cheaper places where um, you can produce. China has become fairly expensive. Um, but then for more complex products, it's, it's very, very difficult. And um, that might be a huge factor. And the other factors, of course, is whether technology is available somewhere else, as you just um, implicated. And that is a big issue. But um, one of the factors that uh, might be interesting, particularly for Canadian in North American companies is technology. And we've seen a lot of um, actions of governments to protect North American technology. I think one of the um, most discussed issues in the media was that Canadian universities actually took protectionist actions against Chinese researchers who were part of the um, universities here. And, and that is something that we have to think about. What, how do we protect technology? Or not, and particularly companies will have to think about whether their reliance on technologies on North America might not also um, make them decide to get more supply from North America and protect against potential um, political conflicts that are on the horizon with, uh, I mean, Russia is probably most in the press, but the China US tensions have been long there, and she, for example, has also um, expressed explained that he will likely, as one of his lifetime goals, integrate uh, Taiwan. And obviously, these tensions are not going to go away in the next 10 years. And uh, companies will have to face and think about this and the consequences 
um, when making decisions of where to supply from, where to operate, and what to do. And and it's difficult, I think, because how can you how can you make decisions in a in a system where some of the countries don't play by the rules at all, do they? The question is, what are the rules? And <laughs> I think this is um, what we are going to face. The rules will change, um, but I think for for companies here. It, it really depends on, on two factors. The question is, how much are they integrated and depend, and they depend on China, their supply chain? And China is a big market as well. So there's a question of market access, of course, but there's also the ability of producing products that um, are otherwise much more expensive to source um, or diff- difficult to assemble. And, of course, there's so much more choice in China. And the other question is, as I mentioned before, that North American technologies in many, many areas are still leading. And if the company is related or might include any of these technologies, um, we can think of biotechnology, where obviously Guelph is also a big player, cultured meats or agricultural issues, artificial intelligence and so on, has been in the press a lot. TikTok, um, many will still relate to the discussions around this topic. if there is a if there's a reliance on North American uh, technology, probably China might play less of a role. But it is, of course, more complex, and every company has to figure out what their configuration is. And many things are also going wrong. I mean, Google at some point, for example, for the production of the um, Google Pixel phone, went out of China and then realized that they're so dependent on what's going on there. Um, that they cannot produce in India, and then they went back, went back into China. And that, of course, are very expensive strategic mistakes. And that is um, what, what we try to do in our article, um, to explain what are the considerations you probably want to take into account and um, to avoid these costly mistakes. Is, is, is the balance of economic power, Felix, out of, out of balance? So you've, you've mentioned that what makes China ridiculously unique is it not only is capable of producing almost everything, it also has a very strong economy internally, so it is capable of buying almost anything. That's, that's not something that happens a whole lot. It seems like a dramatic shift in power. No questions. I think um, we are quite late in realizing that China is a very powerful country. If you think about the... Um, one Belt, One Road initiative, essentially it's the first and possibly only internationalization strategy of a, of, of, of a country. Um, and, and it has been around for 20 years, and China has been very transparent in communicating this. And you see that slowly because Europe is naturally most affected by this. Now they're starting to uh, develop a response. But this response comes very late. So I think um, we have to face realities, but these realities are... Um, more complex because these political tensions that come through territorial claims of uh, countries in the region. Um, so likely we will see more political tension, and that means also we will have to think about um, where to produce and what we needed to, pr- to produce independently without a global supply chain. And I mean, one of the big issues in Canada, for example, was the question of whether we can produce a vaccine ourselves, and we couldn't. Um, and now we are, we are changing this, and these are considerations all companies had to face from uh, drink suppliers that started to buy um, cans from around the world because we didn't have enough cans here in the pandemic to um, address the changing demands 
So there, there are lots of considerations and lots of levels um, that come into that. I, I will get people now and then, Felix, who will tell me, well, all we really have to do is, is you know, start to maybe buy Canadian at the very least, buy North American at a, at a, at a slightly different level, or basically buy nothing that's made in China. But that's not even possible anymore, is it? No, I also don't think that's, that's the right thing to do. I mean, I, I by no means want to value what happens in China and the U.S., um, but the reality is that most companies have integrated global supply chains and something, might it be the can that you drink Coke from or so, comes um, from different regions, possibly from China. Um, and we have to deal with the idea that if supply chains are interrupted, and that might be many different events, it could be the pandemic, there could be other very rare events, um, we, we will have to face the idea that at some point, we might not be able to get supply from certain regions in the world. And then the question is, what do we do, particularly for goods that are necessary or we, that we consider necessary? What do we do to keep these um, bottleneck technologies um, so local that in emergency cases like the pandemic was, um, we can still supply and we can still keep our supply chains alive and, um, and live? Felix, thanks for your time today. Thanks so much. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Felix aren't joining us from the University of Guelph this afternoon. Felix, uh, one of a number of authors of an article in the conversation, which is uh, entitled How U.S.-China Tensions, How Companies Should Respond to U.S.-China Tensions and Global Supply Chain Disruptions. Felix is the John F. Wood Chair in Entrepreneurship at the University of Guelph. He, in his article, brings to the example uh, Tesla which relies heavily on North American technology for its vehicles, but it also relies heavily on Chinese manufacturing speed and proximity to enable it to put everything together. It is at, well, it is at certain risk. It wants to protect its technology, obviously, and also wants to protect its supply chain, its movement, and everything is so tightly integrated together when we have these international tensions, whether it with is with Russia, China, uh, all of those places, it all it all impacts everything. You almost start to think about the too-big-to-fail idea. Walter, go ahead. Yeah, you know, some, um, with this microchip shortage thing that's going on right now, you know, China's got the upper hand on that, you know. Uh, you know like the plant that is making probably 85% of the ones that go in vehicles is in Taiwan. And you know what is happening in Taiwan? Like China wants that, like, as bad as Russia wants to get into Ukraine almost. And, um, you know, there's another plant in Arizona, and they are rapidly expanding to, you know, try and cover the shortage. But, um, you know, uh, as far as, like, you know, um, China itself, um there's no stopping it. Like we're going to see a major shift in world power while you and me are still alive. And it's not going to be the U S on top. And, uh, I don't know what's going to happen to the world then. I mean, there's already how many handful of countries that want to get the U S dollar out as the uh, default currency of the world. And, um, you know, it, all it is, is just a matter of time. That's all it is. It's a matter of time. And it's, it's sad, but, uh, you know, that's the way it's going to be, I'm afraid.
All right, thanks, Walter. Appreciate the call. Since uh, if you if you go back to after the Second World War, you know the United States became the dominant power on the planet, and rising up against that over the years was, of course, Russia slash the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union never had the economic power that the United States had. The United States has both economic and military power. Now we see in China the equal, and perhaps beyond in many ways, a country that does have not only the military strength, but also the economic power to match up with the United States. It is a, it is a dramatic shift. Walter's right. What it looks like is a better question. Jack, go ahead. How are you doing, Brian? I'm good. Last week at work, eh? Yeah, well, at this work, anyways. <laughs> Can I ask how old you are? Are you like uh, 58 yet? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've, oh, yeah, we've, yeah, yeah. we've seen that one. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, I wish you well. I think you're a good man. Sir. Thank you. I actually gave you my real name today. I, you know what? That's, uh, <laughs> we've we've crossed a threshold in our relationship, Jack. <laughs> no, it's true. It's non-sexual, but it's good. Uh, so anyway, um, I think that um, people don't realize, like, China's actually in big financial trouble. Okay. Uh, and uh, the shipping issues... Uh, the canal that got closed, all these things affect them the most. And, and, and I don't know if you noticed, I don't know if you've ever been to China, but where they want to show off, they're really good at it. Like, their airports are exceptional. Uh, you know, like, uh, it's his, uh, he has a, an admiration for the uh, dictatorship, as you know. So, you know, I don't know. I think the Chinese are in big trouble. I think they've been trying to be everything that they can be sort of thing, like uh, like the army sort of thing. Um, but I, I truly think that they have a lot of issues. In fact, they called out uh, before we had our interest rate hike that we should have had two years ago. And again, in January, it did not happen. It's going to happen in March. They've made that clear, but they're going to do a quarter point. It means nothing. The Chinese government urged the West not to raise interest rates because it would hurt them very badly. So I don't know how the richest economy in the world, and I see it as the richest economy in the world, and you'd never know it because it's all private. It's communist, so you can't, there's no exposure at all, zero, uh, of how they really are doing. Um, But, uh, you know, the fact that we didn't raise interest rates in January, and we didn't do it last year, and we didn't do it the year before, uh, who is running our economic policy? You know, Um, the prime minister is not supposed to have a hand in that. Um, but I think he does. And I, I think that, uh, you know, if you look at uh, uh, the fellow, uh, Mark Carney, I believe he left because he didn't want to be part of the Trudeau Gong Show personally. I don't think that he wanted uh, taking marching orders from the PM on how to, uh, you know, raise rates. Whoever raises rates is going to, you know, decimate the economy. But it's a necessary evil. It's uh, part of the inflow outflow of everything. I mean, plus minus. And I think the Chinese are in big trouble, um, and Taiwan, obviously, is a t- contentious issue. The guy mentioned the microchips and stuff. Um, but I honestly think that the uh, Chinese are trying to grab world power. I don't think they're in a position to do it. And if you look at the Hong Kong protests is in 2019, June to December, and then, boom, they give us COVID, which is an engineered uh, disease, in my opinion. Uh, and uh, they're using it to control society. So then it gets released in the United States, Italy, Germany, Canada. 
And that was just a diversion to, you know, it was it was designed to put Donald Trump out of office. And good gravy, whoever voted for Joe Biden must be regretting. And apparently the polls say 83 percent of them regret voting for the guy. Um, so Donald Trump, as bad as he is, uh, was the right answer for America. And I think I hope he will be back. If not, he's going to be 80 years old, Jack. Joe Biden is 180. No, years no, old. he's not. A, well, there's an awful no, lot no. of rabbit holes here, Jack. That he we're going does down. Not have he does not have any intellect. He has zero capacity to function without uh, an earbud in his ear. Which, by the way, our prime minister does in question period. He has an earbud in his ear. He speaks both languages fluently. He's got an earbud every day in his ear, and I wonder who's talking to him. I'd love to know that answer. But I honestly think that the the bottom line is China's in big trouble. Uh, Russia's definitely going to invade Ukraine. There's nothing that anyone will do about it. Uh, Taiwan will be taken by China, provided they don't fall previous to that. Because if you remember the 80s, when it escalated at the highest, the Cold War, uh, both of them were out spending each other on things they would never use on each other, meaning n- nuclear weapons, right? Um, I-, I-, I think that America is the dragon that can whip its tail around so fast economically. And I truly believe that every American's waking up. And uh, shout out to the convoy. Uh, All right. I've just run out of rabbit hole. No offense, Jack. Love the fact that you called. But I didn't think we were going to do Taiwan, Ukraine, Russia, Trump. He hasn't been on for about a year or so. And a variety of other things that happened there. Purely on an economic basis, China has become a superpower. How they opt to use that power will be very interesting. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. We shall head back to the telephone to John Doe. Got a toe tag on there, John? I certainly do. Ah, good to know. I've been dead for a while now. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, tell me, what do you think would happen to the world's carbon output if, uh, if China was, uh, if we were to cut off all the stuff that we're buying from China, or even if we just cut 50% of it off, what would happen to the world's carbon output? It would certainly drop. Yes, because China is uh, producing twenty over 28% of the world's uh, carbon emissions. The uh, They produce things so cheap because, number one, they don't have too many environmental controls. The uh, You know, they keep bringing on uh, new coal-fired generating stations. The uh, Of course, uh, you know, Labor-wise, uh, yeah, you, uh, you get people to work pretty cheap there as well. So, yeah, we're getting all this cheap goods from China, but in the end, it is costing us big time. The, uh, if we start reducing our dependency on Chinese goods and start uh, manufacturing again in North America, you know, and other places, it's going to clean up the environment substantially. How much, are you, how much more are you willing to pay? We've gotten used to these cheap prices, and uh, I, I think over time it would st- uh, start to balance out. The uh, yeah, there's no question it's going to be more expensive. But you know, when I go do my grocery shopping, I look and uh, you know, I try and buy local wherever possible. When I when I'm looking at a jar of relish and it says uh, you know made in uh, Canada or made in uh, India, I pick the one that was made in Canada, and I do pay more for it. The uh, just because I, I believe we should. The uh, you know support local, the uh, even things like uh, when I'm uh, buying, I'm doing some renovations on a, a house. I need some uh, materials in that. 
uh, I'd rather buy local from the uh, the small uh, small shop in town than from the big box. You know, the uh, unfortunately, either way, it seems I'm buying from China. So, well, how would John, so John? How would we make companies manufacture here? Well, for one thing, if uh, if Trudeau didn't keep trying to drive companies uh, out of Canada with his uh, carbon tax... Let's not pretend it, it was Trudeau. Companies have been fleeing Canada for years, John. Oh, yeah, but it's getting worse now with, uh, with the, the whole carbon tax thing. So there's uh, companies that are looking and they're saying their energy costs have just skyrocketed. They're going to uh, look for other places that are a little bit more business-friendly. And by business-friendly, it means no emission standards. Uh, so do we uh, want no to have companies that, that have no emission standards? Oh, no, because we wouldn't have that here in Canada. I hope not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The uh, So it's going to cost us a little bit more. But, you know, like right now, uh, a buddy of mine just sent me a text. He just paid a buck fifty-eight point nine per liter for, uh, for yep. fuel. There's no justification for that other than Trudeau and his carbon tax. He's driving up the cost of everything. Well, can't we give the oil companies a little bit of blame, too? They get some blame, too, right? Some? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah, their, um, their cost of production really hasn't gone up much uh, over the last 30 years, but uh, their profits certainly have. And, the uh, you know, it's... It's a limited supply, you know. The, but let's let's talk. You know, you you said uh, oil companies. Um, the Liberals are trying to drive us to all electric vehicles. Like one of the main components required for the manufacturing of uh, electric vehicles is rare earth elements, and China has the market cornered on rare earth. The uh, some time back they had a trade dispute with Japan, and what did they do? They cut off uh, Japan's supply of rare earth elements and basically eliminated their production of electric vehicles for a period of time. All right, John, i got to let you go because we're way late. Really apologize for that. Uh, complex, obviously. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. As you heard on Paul McPhee's newscast at the top of the hour, things continue to go on in Ottawa with the uh, protest that uh, surrounds largely Parliament Hill. The imposition of the Emergencies Act doesn't appear to be having a whole lot of impact yet, but these things take time, I guess, and the police have been walking around, as you heard, uh, handing out one-page sheets telling people time to move along. Fiona McDonald is an assistant professor of political science at the University of Northern British Columbia, writing in the conversation, says uh, this protest is a textbook case of, quote, aggrieved entitlement. Fiona joins us this afternoon. Good afternoon, Fiona. Good afternoon. Uh, So what does aggrieved entitlement mean? Uh, This concept refers to the perception or the idea that um, someone has a feeling that they've been denied something that they're entitled to. Right, so some kind of a benefit or recognition, a status in their community or society that they believe has been wrongly denied them. And I think this is exactly what we're seeing here in the protest, and it explains a lot of the different um, positions people are putting forward. There, there seems to be no one single position with this anymore, but it does. Does, does it not speak to, like, I guess the anxiety, the fear, the upset that a lot of people have after two years yes. of this? Absolutely. And I think that's the important thing to um, take away here, 
So there's a number of different elements at work, but what allowed this kind of mobilization was exactly that. It's a level of frustration, anxiety, this feeling of being out of control or powerless. It's these emotional understandings of the world that's driving the participation. So we know there's a few different um, political motivations, but what's really uniting people across those motivations is that emotional understanding that something has gone wrong, that their uh, sense of, again, position in society, uh, their sense of power has been taken away, and that's what's driving people. And that's why you're seeing the kind of commentary, um, the kind of entrenchment that people are um, communicating across various media. Well, and we're just hearing now, Fiona, from people who are actually in Ottawa who say they have absolutely no intention of moving on despite an Emergencies Act. Exactly. And, uh, you know, a lot of the coverage that I've seen has been focused on people saying things like, I have nothing to lose. Um, And this is a very worrying kind of statement for people to be making. And, uh, again, I think what's important for us, if we want to understand why people are saying such dramatic things, right? There have been people saying, I'm willing to die for this, is because of their sense of the world and that feeling of powerlessness. That's what takes you to a place of, um, I've got nothing to lose. And that is very, very worrying. And and Fiona, I see in a lot of places now, it's social media, so you can't take anything seriously on social media sometimes. (laughs) But, but, you know, there's this tendency to to swat those concerns away and say they're, that's that doesn't help, does it? No, I really don't think so. And I understand the motivation for people to say, I'm not going to engage with this. I'm not going to look at this. This is wrong. But I really caution against that um, kind of approach. Um, we have to recognize everyone in our community, regardless of whether we agree or disagree. And the further away... We push people, um, the more entrenched our society is going to get, the more polarized we're going to get. But we have to find some way of recognizing the humanity of one another. And I think recognizing the emotional motivation is the way to do that. It doesn't mean agreeing with people, but recognizing um, the shared emotions that we all have. Anxiety, like you said, fear. Um, These are things that we can recognize, even if we disagree about what people are doing um, to resolve their fear and anxiety. But it it would seem to me almost at this point that there is is no other way out than to say things like, you're right, no matter which side you might be on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that makes it difficult. I think, you know, there are, again, so many forces at work... um, the time to um, have conversations at a high level has, has sort of, uh, we've moved past that. Um, we had a real lack of leadership um, politically, uh, with the exception of the mayor, who I think did um, absolutely try to do as much as he was able to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but, you know, for those of us as citizens, too, we're all impacted this in, by this in various ways. And um, I know it's attention in families, it's attention in workplaces. And I do um, encourage all of us, myself included, to try and find some point of commonality, um, even though it's very difficult. 
to try and find some recognition of a shared sense of the world or emotion um, because further isolating ourselves is only going to increase the, the kinds of problems that we're seeing. Uh, Fiona, I've been around long enough. I, I actually remember the invocation of the War Measures Act back in, uh, mm-hmm. in 1970. I was old enough, and, and I, was, mm-hmm. I was still a, I'm not even quite a teenager yet, but I was interested in politics at the time, and it was, of course, a gripping moment uh, in the country. Now, you talk in your article that this is a foreboding milestone. What concerns you about, about the invocation of the Emergencies Act? Well, I think, again, what it says is that we were not able to resolve this um, through the typical channels we would expect um, to be able to handle conflict or um, disagreement in our contemporary democratic society. So while the Emergencies Act is very different than the War Measures Act, uh, which is important to note, um, because, as you say, uh, the War Measures Act was a very sweeping um, it meant that um, various rights and freedoms were um, were on hold. Um, this is not the case for the Emergencies Act. Charter rights and freedoms are still protected um, within a reasonable capacity. Um, but the fact that we have to invoke it, I think, is a sad state of affairs. Um, it speaks to the increased polarization, the fact that um, some Canadians are moving more and more to extreme political positions, and we're seeing the erosion of our moderate political centre. That has really characterized Canadian politics uh, for the most part until now. And, and so much of that, that drive to the opposite ends of the spectrum seems to be based on emotion more than policy in many ways. That's absolutely correct. And again, it's really important to recognize that because if the position is emotional, which the political science literature tells us it is, it's well documented that that's what's driving polarization. It is not, despite what people might um, believe, it is not disagreement about policy. It's disagreement about the nature of the world we live in and what it means. And so we knowing that the drive is emotional means that if you want to interact with people on it, you have to interact with them in terms of their emotion rather than a policy disagreement. Uh, And that's a really important thing to remember because you're not going to be able to connect simply uh, having a, a rational debate on a policy issue. And that's, of course, what we're seeing here. Um, because the mandates are already changing, and yet that is not shifting the behavior of the people who are most entrenched in Ottawa, because it's not about that. Fiona, thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. Fiona McDonald is an assistant professor of political science at the University of Northern British Columbia, writing in the conversation how she calls, she well, she takes it from somewhere else, but she does put that label of aggrieved entitlement on top of protest. Look, I, I am at this point fascinated to see how it ends. I certainly like, look, I don't, I don't want troops marching down the street. I don't want to see that kind of thing happen in our capital city. But, you know, this is the place where we are. And I'm not, as each day goes by, it seems like the options are kind of dropping off. Jason, go ahead. Uh, well, the, the way I'm seeing it, like, for two years, we basically, the charter's been 
pretty much suspended. Yeah, I know what hasn't, hasn't but. Been, but we haven't been following it, that's for sure. And then uh, in the last little while, they could, and it was all justified because the vaccine was the way out of this, and we're going to be, we'll be all fine if everybody just gets the vaccine. So they they violated people's charter rights. But then we learned in November, December, January that that's absolutely not going to happen. We've seen in Israel four doses isn't making that happen. So I think that's where a lot of people are getting fed up and the, the government overreach. But then we have Trudeau, instead of like trying to talk to people or listen to his scientists that are saying it's time to re- revisit some of this stuff because it's not working, he just, he's wherever he was, He's just name-calling and not talking to anybody, and then he he goes with government overreach to attack the protesters that are mad about government overreach. That he didn't he did nothing except for name-call and antagonize people to try to calm this down. Jason, so, I don't disagree with the antagonism part, but you don't honestly believe that he if he had come out and said anything that it would have made any difference to the vast majority of those protesters. You don't think that's the case, right? No, it wouldn't have he, he should at least he should at least try, and then calling them names is not helping. And then, but it's his own top scientists are saying that it's time to revisit some of these things. But he's just saying trust the science. It's like, well, your scientists are telling you that we need to revisit these, and you won't even look at it. And you've got your policies in mind, and you're bullheaded, and you're going to go with it no matter what. Well, I think both sides are pretty bullheaded here, Jason. I'll give you that, Phil. Go ahead, Brian. How's it going? It's all right. That's good. Uh, Listening to a lady, she said we have to. She made a statement. I'm not attacking her. She we had to invoke this uh, thing, the uh, emergency act. You know, greatness precedes power, or at least goodness or competence. And the only reason why they have to invoke this is because of the incompetence. And it's a clear cut. You know, I heard her. I was listening earlier, and you know. I know you're not a religious guy, and religion is dead. I, I don't care about religion either, but, you know, it seems like there's a quasi-religion, and it's the science now, and the oracles speak, and nobody can question, and if you question, it's just like, if you think back, it's like when the, it's what the church did, and now we have the government doing that, and that's what the people's not getting. I, for me, I'm like, wait, what's going on here? So what are you supposed like, to believe in then, Phil? Well, yeah, but... What do you mean? What are you supposed to believe? So you're like you're saying, okay, science has become like a cult, and well, well, it is. And by the way, she didn't say that we. She did not say that we had to invoke this. She said governments felt they had to. Well, okay, yeah, she said something like she. The reason why we had to, if you go yeah, back she she is she is not in favor of the invocation of no, that no, act. I'm not I want to be clear about is, that. And I, I, yeah, and I wasn't saying that she was. I just heard that, and then I just thought, like, well. Why do you have to use power? Well, because you're incompetent. Because if you're if you're greatness, if you're great, then we want you in power. We want you leading. Like if you're great, you're we want you to have the power. There's nobody in this country, Canadians included, and and these protests. Hey, if you're doing a good job and you're you're great, yeah, you know what? Be the be the leader. You be the leader in the hunt. You know when we go hunt to get food because everybody's gonna, uh, you know, we're all gonna benefit from that. But it has become, I heard earlier this morning, Brian, like, you know, a guy call in and give facts, more facts, not other facts, more facts, and it was shut right down, and that's what the church used to do. So it is, and I'm not, you know, I'm not all right-wing crazy guy, but it's the oracle speaks, and you guys shut up and listen, and that's what's at the heart of this. 
All right, Phil. Thanks. I got to let you go. I, I got another couple of people to get to before I go to break. Casper, go ahead. Hey, Brian. Uh, thanks again for taking my call. Uh, I just want to say that at the core of this, um, that even if the mandates are removed and, and vaccine, what have you, there's a core of this uh, that this isn't about mandates. This is about vaccines. This is about a, not a, basically a removal of Justin Trudeau and, and, and the government. Uh, you can look at the leadership as part of this convoy, and they've, they've outrighted said that, and they said that two years ago in, in other movements they've made. So if we're, if we're looking at this and we can say, oh, the vaccines, this is Justin Trudeau, would you, as Justin Trudeau, speak to these people with the, the, the uh, ritual they've put forth to them? There's, there's F. Trudeau flags everywhere. How, where, where is the speaking point there? Casper, I tend to agree with you. Look, I didn't think that he said particularly, i got to let you go, the best message on that first discussion. But there, if I'm if I'm the security guy, there's no way in the world I'll let you go out there because it doesn't matter what you're going to say. All you can do is say, I acknowledge what you're feeling, etc. This is the route that we're going to go, and they're still not going to be happy with that. It would be it would be a stupid thing to do. What he said didn't help. Patrick, go ahead. Uh, yeah, um, so I called last week and I said Trudeau should enact the Emergencies Act, and I'm glad he did. Uh, it shows that he's not afraid to take chances. His father made the act, amended the war act. He enacted it, but with restrictions. He's very reserved on it. He reassured us that there's no military. And being of an indigenous group who's been subject to uh, the church's fear-mongering, I just want to clarify, the church doesn't shut you down. The church scares you. All right, thanks, Patrick. I appreciate the call. i got to let you go. We are we are up against the wall here to some degree. Very, very, very different pieces of legislation, the War Measures Act and the Emergency Measures Act. Uh, very different pieces of legislation. I just, when you've, when you've got a group that has expressly said, this is, whenever that's happened, this is what we want, and they're not prepared to leave, I, there's, I don't, there doesn't feel like a whole room for negotiation on either side, really, does there? If this is your typical rock, meet hard place. This is Catching It Today on City News 570. I head to the phones. Rush, go ahead. Uh, thanks, Brian. I uh, just want to say quickly, I'm, I'm sorry to hear you're, you're going. I've always appreciated that you've been uh, much more willing to have a... Uh, reasonable and balanced conversation than, uh, than Mike. And so, yeah, thanks for that. Um, I find it interesting that she made the point that this is not about policy and it's about emotion because, you know, we, we heard that same uh, sort of change in narrative uh, regarding the vaccinations uh, back in the fall. It, it was, while well, we can no longer argue data with these people, we need to start uh, start appealing to their emotions, and and I I find it I find I found it condescending and untrue then, and I find it condescending and untrue now. You, you don't I believe you don't a, believe that a significant number of people who have been involved in these protests are being driven by emotion. I I'm not saying that. I think that that's what she's saying. No, she said she said she she made that point and she expanded on it further, saying that. You can't talk policy with these people. Well, no, and I what think she's saying, the- Rush, if people are driven by emotion and not policy, it's pointless to debate policy with them. Um, and I, and I, I'm, my argument is that before you enact the Emergency Measures Act, 
uh, you can at least make that attempt. Um, and and you, you made the – of course not. He, he, of course he's not – his security people are not going to allow him to go out into the middle of this protest. That's not what anybody was asking for. Um, it would have been quite easy to set up a meeting with the people who are holding these press conferences, BJ and, and Tamara. So the people and, who and, have and, expressly uh, said that their hope is to overturn the government and have – the prime minister out you would you that'd be okay for a meeting with you i don't i don't recall either of the two of them making that um making that um, it's been that's a rush it's been all over the place you and i both know it and look do you think that that would be a good thing for any leader of any country to have a meeting about uh, i'm sure it's happened many many times to diffuse situations yes Okay, Russia, right? I, I got to let you go on that because we're out of time. Look, you were asking. This was a group. Now, look, they they pulled it back conveniently and said, no, 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 we don't actually mean that. They wanted a meeting with the governor general. They wanted the government dissolved. They wanted to have a group of people who were unelected run the country, even though none of that is an option. And the prime minister is supposed to meet with that. Again, I go back to the I go back to this concept. Is that what you want? in terms of how decisions are made. Whoever yells the loudest or causes the most inconvenience guess what's, gets what they want. Is that the right way to do things? I'm not sure that, well, I'm not that I'm not sure. I know that that's not the right way. That's not going to work well for all of us. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Tell us talk, that's what you heard about me. in fact interested in finding out how you get onto my favorite person's list which gets you into an interview slot here on my uh, my last week of radio well there are a number of different checkboxes giving me money doesn't hurt so george soros tomorrow afternoon at 1 30 um buying me a beer certainly helpful that that is that is not a round of golf not bad we can do that and uh, and perhaps having something interesting to say this guy checks off three of those four he hasn't given me any money David Marskell is the head of the museum in Kitchener, but we've certainly played golf, had a beer, and had some fun. Yeah, and I recall a baseball game where we beat up on some youngins way back three, four years ago. Oh, yeah, that was, that, was, that was horrendous. I hurt yeah, for days after that. <laughs> so, um, uh, opening up again here, David, uh, what does that mean for the museum in terms of capacity? Um, well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on. It, it means a lot that I made two and a half days into the week, so that's not bad, I guess. Yeah, I could have squeezed you right at the end as an emergency, but no. <laughs> I do appreciate uh, making the cut at all. Um, yeah, it, it's it's great news. We're going to ease into the capacity. We're not um, we're not going to just open up as as broadly as we can. We've got a large building, and um, we sell tickets on a timed basis, so we can pulse people through. Uh, we want people to feel and the perception of safety to be there. So we're in a good place. People are buying tickets big time. And uh, in terms of, we're talking about the Rolling Stones exhibition on Zip. And uh, we'll, we'll be fine. How, how long does the exhibition run for, David? Um, it is to close 
relatively soon on February 27th, but I'm pretty certain we're going to have some good news in the in the coming days. We've been working with uh, with Joyce, the manager of the band, and we have some credibility there. We helped them when in Europe when COVID shut down a different museum. So um, we will extend. It's just a matter of for how long. And uh, as I say, we'll be we'll be announcing something uh, probably next week, actually. So, so David, as far as the, the museum goes right now, under the rules, what are you allowed to do? We're allowed 50% of capacity. Our building holds 800, um, but we currently are below 40%. We've been, we've been tracking around 38%. Um, we, one, of our, one of our challenges is the way people buy tickets. Two o'clock tends to be the popular slot. So as they come in at two o'clock or two, two ten, like when you buy a ticket, you're, it, you can come in for a two hour window. You can stay as long as you want. Uh, but they fill, they can fill the building fairly, not fill the building, but fill our capacity fairly quickly at two o'clock. Um, we could open it up to more people earlier in the day, but you never know if somebody, if, if people are going to, when people are going to buy tickets. But, um, we'll, we'll, uh, We'll ease the number up as as we see things lighten up with COVID and and those numbers drop. Um, we'll we'll maintain that people need to be vaccinated and of course wear masks and so on. Uh, do you get a sense, David, that people are a little bit reluctant, which might actually play into that idea of here's why we're going to kind of slow things down a bit? You know, Brian, as before the shutdown, the most recent shutdown, people were voting with their feet. We we had launched the show. November 30th, we were we were doing extremely well in terms of numbers and dollars, and for for a good period of time. And then when the new variant was announced, um, people voted with their feet, and we could see it level off very quickly. They are now coming back big time. People are are booking out, uh, uh, booking. Um, we're way ahead of the first few weeks when we first opened. Let me put it that way, and and so that bodes well for the run of the show. Um, and, um, you know, our merchandise sales, uh, the per cap on that has been extreme compared to what museums, quote unquote, and galleries tend to, to realize. Um, so it, it's, uh, it was a big risk for us. This is, we're in for a million and a half dollars when you take the show and, and marketing and upping the staffing and, and so on and so forth. So it was a, it was a strategic risk, but we'll get it back and we'll make more. You know, uh, the, the Stones, of course, go, going back some 50 years, a lot of people don't think about that as, as museum-worthy history. But having, having brought this exhibit here, David, are there other exhibits like that out there that kind of celebrate that, that recent history? You know, Brian, you're very astute on this. The, the Rolling Stones, yes, it's about them, but it's about guitar collections, about, it's about costumes, it's about civil disobedience. It's a snapshot of the last 60 years of pop culture. It truly is. Um, to answer your question, um, you know, their blockbusters are, in our world are, are tough to come by in terms of their expense and so on, and we can only you know, bring the Titanic or Warhol or the Rolling Stones every four or five years. Um, but one that would actually capture the, the recent history, I can't think of one. I mean, there, there's things like Harry Potter, that's out there, kind of out of our reach. We're, we're working with Friends, the TV show. That would be kind of cool. It goes back to a period of time. Um, but um, I don't know if there's one that sort of captures the recent 
history through the lens of the like the Rolling Stones and and pop culture. Well, and then, and then pop culture changed, right? Like you can you can go back to, you know, we mentioned Friends. Go back to the music of the '80s, and we can relive that if there is any possible reason in the world why anyone would want to relive that stuff. <laughs> but yeah, you know, we but it doesn't it doesn't have the same same cultural impact as say the Stones, or even if you want to go beyond that. You know, the Beatles, hate ashbury all that stuff. It doesn't have that kind of cultural impact. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and the Stones are such a powerful brand, a uh, global brand, and so unique. And they, again, the show touches on so much. I mean, um, some of the names of their songs and how they, they were taking on, like, Gimme Shelter, what that was all about, if people read the lyrics of that song. And, um, you know, the how they influence clothing and costumes and and. Who started first, Bowie or Kiss? Like, Kiss came along later. But the influence the Rolling Stones have had on so many facets of our life, and I, and I mean your and my life, like, I mean, it, it is all of our life, almost, um, that the Stones have been, been around. Um, and, uh, yeah, the Beatles, the Beatles would definitely fall into that category, but the Stones are still touring. They're going back out on the road in, in uh, Europe, I'm told, this May. Um, just a little bit wider spectrum here, David. You've you've done so much with this museum to take it away from. I think what people often thought about about museums. I've told you the story about being in the old Niagara Falls Museum with the three headed goat. You know, you've yeah. nev- you've never gone that route. Although I still encourage you to do it. I think it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's it's necessary, right? To to tap into that market to to make these changes. You know, I was very, very fortunate to come to this community. This community was unanimous that they wanted that space to work, and they had put a lot, the entire community, the tech community, certainly Jim Balsley and those at RIM, Michael and Louise, those early uh, people at RIM, they put a lot of money. Um, Rosemary Aker, who was the original uh, executive director, the visionary, um, and it wasn't meeting expectations, the Children's Museum, after two or three years. So when I came, that was a huge plus for me that people wanted it to succeed. When I worked at the C&E in Ontario Place, some people wanted that to be condos and con- uh, casinos and so on. So that, that allowed me to stay as close as I could to art and technology at play, um, but I had to, I had to broaden the, the demographics by age, and I knew with my marketing experience I could broaden demograph or broaden the uh, geographical uh, demographics, and and that has come that it, we've got forty plus percent uh, coming to this show from outside of the region, so it's uh, and we're so unique. Without a collection, we can we can pop up with some exciting things um, and be very flexible. There does really seem to be a, a merger of art, science, technology out there that's fascinating down the road. Yeah, and, and and that's what our our team is very good at. Our young team are brilliant at. I mean, we we pride ourselves. We often talk about if we only had the button from the tunic from the captain of the Titanic that went down and put it in the middle of a huge room with a pin light on it, <laughs> how much we could animate that. I mean, the climate of the day, the icebergs aren't there today. You know, the, the engineering of the ship, The you know, there's so many things that you can with creativity really animate something as simple as a button. Um, and, and that's what I, I think my team does so well. There's a, a talk coming up, I think it's March 2nd, called Sticky Lyrics. And um, it's moderated by music historian um, uh, Alan Cross. And 
the Rolling Stones have chosen not to play the song Brown Sugar on this most recent tour because of the content and the lyrics. It starts on a slave ship that people can look up the song. Now, some people have been protesting that they're not playing the song, and other people are saying, yeah, that was okay back then, but it's not cool today. So we want to unpack that. And that's a great example of the, the creativity of animating going beyond the Rolling Stones exhibition and, and, and making it relevant to a younger market today. And plus, people should listen to Alan Cross any opportunity they get. Yeah, he's been wonderful to work with. Absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're pleased to be bringing him here. We could, uh, we could do a golf exhibit, put your swing up there, see if people can match it. <laughs> I don't think they could match it, and I, I don't mean that in a positive way at all. I, I, I'm not even sure. Maybe one of the Mo of the Three Stooges might have a similar swing. Um, <laughs> but you are definitely a good golfer, and you are going to succeed again, as I said on, on your post. And uh, I, I, I really look forward to, to golfing with you and to conspiring with you to do some fun things at the museum. And I mean that sincerely. I, I'll have to, well, I can get you through Facebook. I was going to say I'll have to get your, your coordinates, but yeah, I'll easy, find you. Relatively easy to find me, David. I, look, I've, I will tell you that I've always had this incredible desire to narrate a wildlife documentary. So if you can hook me up, I, that's, I don't know why. I just want to do that. <laughs> can we do three-headed goats? Absolutely. <laughs> Dave, thanks, I'm on you, it. thanks for your time, man. Thank you. Talk to you soon. David Marshall is uh, the chief wizard and bottle washer at the museum in downtown Kitchener. See, we're, we're breaking news there. Dave didn't want to give out all the details, but it certainly looks like the unzipped exhibit will be extended. It's supposed to end, I believe he said, uh, February the 27th. We'll, we'll put it out there as, well, something's coming. That's good because restricted capacity has kept people away from it. The show's done really, really well. And um, I think we do have this tendency to look at, you know, those years that aren't that far ago as not history, but they are. And we have this tremendous advantage now in that we have it easily documented. Like, 50, think about it, 50 years from now, people will be able to document what happened in these days with a great deal of ease. And let's go back 50 years, well, 60 years, really, if you want to talk about the Stones. The information's out there, but it's not nearly as accessible as it is today. It's all part of history, all part of culture, and all interesting. Although, if we're going to do a Friends exhibit, we might have to have a chat. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. All right, so tomorrow tomorrow we dip into T-minus 2, and we will have a special guest tomorrow, and that will be uh, one David Gilgrass, a former broadcaster, current brother. So, uh, but... Okay, but didn't know he was a brother until like 10 years ago. So, uh, brother not from a different mother, brother from the same mother. So it's a, it's, a very, it's a very complex and complicated story. The best part of it is, uh, is that he spent 25 years in broadcasting. So we can have the whole nature or nurture debate, uh, but that's, it's pretty interesting that that would happen. Did not, uh, did not meet Dave, did not know Dave existed until 10 years ago, but all the, all the knots were tied. And I promised several times to tell that story. And since I'm running out of storytelling time, this week seems to be a pretty good idea to do that. Since it hasn't been turned into like a Netflix miniseries or anything, this is the, the best possible opportunity to, uh, to let that fly. Uh, tonight, of course, I will, I will stay up for as long as I can to watch the uh, Canadian women's hockey team, knowing full well it'll probably be a really close game. It will probably last until 1 o'clock in the morning, but that's okay. 
Because when you're not getting up at 5.30 anymore, you don't have to worry about that. You can get up and get in whenever you have to. Except I apparently have to have my picture taken somewhere tomorrow. So I, you know, do need a significant amount of beauty sleep to get to that point. Uh, I w- want to tell you some of the other things that will happen uh, through the rest of this uh, final week as we go T-minus 2 and counting tomorrow. Uh, uh, Fridays will be free on the phones, as for usual. <laughs> From whatever time we decide to do that, I do have to ask you a favor, though. Uh, please, I know some of you have been doing it. Don't Don't call here. Don't call into our newsroom. Don't call into the main switchboard because uh, I know some people have been doing that. Don't. You're not going to get the right people, right? That's just not going to happen. So uh, while I appreciate that sentiment, it is not necessary. You can, you can shoot me an email. You can, you can hit me up on the Twitter, which, by the way, this is a really good way to grow your Twitter base because I went over 2,000 Twitterers this week, and I'd been kind of stuck. I don't work really hard at it. So now I went up over 2,000. But, you know, no need to no need to call in. You're not going to get the ear of anybody, and it, and it wouldn't matter if it was because decisions are made. We move on. We, we'd be grown up about things, right? Right. That's why they're allowing me to be here, and I'd like that to continue through the rest of the week. Right? Two more days, six hours. We can do that. So we'll do that on Friday. And also, I'm not sure, but I think, Polly tomorrow would be a really good day to replay the uh, the TV dinner fiasco which has has become legendary in the halls around this building just because it was madness and it is I will honestly say this the only time I've had a listener email during a show to say oh my god I had to pull over the car and stop because it was just so ridiculously funny and it was completely unplanned because it was during that opening segment and you said hey it's whatever day today, and Brittany chirped in and goes, it's also TV dinner day, and then chaos ensued. It was was beautifully done. It was a a lovely moment for all of us. I think it might have been the moment where we figured out exactly what is possible, that you just bring up crap and see what happens. It happens all the time. I I, Look, when when I was young, which is a long time ago, uh, I would... My, my parents owned a store in Clearwater, British Columbia, which is about 80 to 90 kilometers north, I believe, of Kamloops. So it is really in the, in the interior of British Columbia. It's right along the Thompson River. And our store was right at the bottom of that where the, where the trucks came by and their choice was either hit the store, hit the parking lot, or hit the Thompson River. And one of the big days for us every couple of weeks would be the... Um, delivery of comic books and other such things into our store. Remember, it's the mid-60s. It was a pretty big deal. And we would sit around inside the store and read the comic books. But also, I would, we would often flip to the back because that's where you would find advertising for things like for perhaps x-ray glasses. And who doesn't want a pair of x-ray glasses? That kind of thing would be on the back cover. And, and for some reason, for a long time, my father would talk about, where did you, where did you hear that? Where'd you read that? Did you get that from the back of a comic book? That would be his response to any ridiculous... Where'd you get your license? A cereal box! To any ridiculous fact that I would bring up. Remember, as a child, and it probably started when I was about 10 years old, I used to ask for them to give me the World Almanac and Book of Facts for Christmas. That's what I wanted to read, because I was an enormous nerd and have still maintained that for years and years and years and years and years. 
just a gigantic nerd. And so the whole idea of, well, here's some facts are fascinating to me. Let's go, let's go find some interesting things. I did not know that Pope Gregory the Great was the one who decreed one should say God bless you for a sneeze. Today, I learned that. So did you. Tom, go ahead. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, what's your opinion of the uh, emergency? I think there I think there should be a better way to fix these things, but I don't see any other way out. Yeah, I uh, right now they're, they're you know they're not arresting these guys that started this and that wanted to overthrow the government. They're not going after them. Yeah, but they took they're that not... they took that back, Tom. They didn't mean it. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. But I mean, this was the intention. And then uh, what uh, what happens is how are we going to get like I I don't think there's an easy way because they haven't blockaded all their stuff that they're getting. I mean, you know, they have showers, they got camps, they got everything. Nobody is doing anything. I don't think they were prepared. Oh, Tom, I think that's pretty obvious from the very beginning that it was taken lightly. And then uh, I I feel bad for the the police chief because uh, he, he didn't get any help from anywhere. And then the mayor goes and makes a deal with him. Doesn't make any sense. It's a it's a very 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 strange time, I, Tom. I hope that it doesn't come to a really bad scene. Yeah, me but, too. Uh, yeah, it's all uh, right. All the best. All right, thanks, Tom. For sure. And that, and that really is the thing that concerns me. That that it it is it is so close to being something. None of this has to end in a bad way. And I and I know people want want to assign blame, etc. I get all of that. But none of it needs to end in a bad way. And I don't think any of us really want it to end in a bad way. This has uh, and has gotten to the point when you hear some of the people talking on, on our newscast this afternoon, they're insistent. It doesn't matter. We're staying. That's it. And when you have that position, the possibility of something going off the rails and being really dangerous is possible. And I, you know, I honestly don't want to see that in this country. Not over this. Maybe there would be another reason that's way off the table down the road, but not particularly over this. And maybe we look back on this in a couple of years' time and figure out a lot of things could have been done differently. Hindsight, of course, is always twenty twenty. But it's uh, I I I remember in when when the uh, War Measures Act was put in place in nineteen seventy. I remember how upset. My father was at that because he would moved here from Ireland and he just deeply believed in this country. And he couldn't believe anything like that could happen here. And here we are 50 years later. History, to some degree, repeats itself. Back here tomorrow from noon till 3. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570.